Welcome to the Daily Standard podcast, where we try to bring you commentary that's smart, conservative, and non-tribal. It's March 29th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. Now, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and a bunch of other places, too. Joining me today is Andrew Egger of The Weekly Standard. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Right, let's talk, I want to talk to you about uh, your your lengthy profile of uh, the uh, Republican Senate candidate in Missouri, Josh Hawley. But let's start with uh, the breaking news, the White House uh, announcing that the White House doctor, Ronnie Jackson, is going to be replacing David Shulkin at uh, the VA. Now, the firing of David Shulkin was not that much of a surprise. So just to talk about that. Um, the, the the a lot of eyebrows went up when the president said he's going to appoint the White House doctor who is famous for giving the glowing press conference, but apparently has never actually run anything before. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's one of a few things that's in play here. It seems like per, per, as a, on a personal level, um, everybody uh, has a lot of respect for Dr. Jackson. He he's earned accolades for for his his work under several presidents. He's a, a really stand up guy. All the people who know him personally have vouched very very strongly for him. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a, a medical doctor. You know, he hasn't uh, doesn't have experience running uh, anything close to the you know enormous uh, wide ranging Department of Veterans Affairs that's two hundred billion dollars budget. Um, and so it, it's an open question. You know, I mean, maybe he has a, an unseen talents in that department, but it, it does seem like an odd pick for that reason alone. Okay. So, so let's talk about Shulkin, who, when he was appointed, was, you know, had broad bipartisan support. He's not a Trump guy. He's a holdover from the Obama administration. He was uh, obviously, you know, eminently qualified to run this, this gigantic agency. And ostensibly, though, he his he was brought down by these stories <clears throat> about the ten you know ten day one hundred twenty two thousand dollar you know trip. He took his wife along to Europe, got uh, free Wimbledon tickets, all of those things. Um, is is that really what brought him down, or was that just a pretext for something else? Well, it really seems like uh, th this story, I mean, obviously, in a larger context, um, you have to take that, that this is not the only story in this White House about, um, you know, lavish spending or, or taxpayer waste, um, which, you know, it, perhaps if this uh, accident, if this had happened in an isolated way, Shulkin had been the only one, he might have been able to apologize his way out of it. Uh, as, as things stand, you know, with him, with the $31,000 desk purchase that's been uh, embroiling Secretary Carson, uh, with, uh, you know, Tom Price's similar scandal, I think that the, the White House is just sort of trying to push themselves away from this becoming a, a seeming pattern. Um, but in terms of, you know, prior to this scandal, it's it's definitely worth, worth noting that, that Shulkin was winning uh, accolades for what he was doing at, at VA. Um, he, you know, President Trump last year, uh, you know, praised him frequently. Pra praised him in in. in flowery language said, you know, everyone's no noting how ironic it is that that he he said, you know, just less than a year ago, you know, I, I like to say, you know, you're fired or whatever, but, but I'm never going to do that with you, with you, David Shulkin. Um, so obviously he didn't know that this uh, scandal is going to boil up. Um, but but I mean, yeah, it, it was just a really, really bad look on Shulkin's part, both um, in, in terms of the actual trip uh, that, that didn't seem, you know, clearly was not above board. Um, and then he, you know, he, he is at least is accused in departmental in, in an interdepartmental report of uh, of you know, fabricating uh, excuses for 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 why he was able to expense his wife's uh, plane fare over there you know it's it's just a really really embarrassing thing and I'm, I'm not surprised at all to see it you know bring even a successful cabinet secretary's tenure to an end 
Now, now th- this is, is we, we pointed out, and I probably don't need to point out how important um, the Veterans Affairs Department is to millions of American veterans. It's, it's one of the agencies you really, really don't want to screw up. And as, as widely respected as Ronnie Jackson is, as we pointed out, he's never actually run anything. Uh, it, are you hearing any rumbles at all that there might be a problem getting him confirmed? Well, uh, I, I've definitely seen other reporters, you know, speculating on that on that front. Um, you know, m- mentioning that you know just just because of the clear lack of of this sort of experience, um, he may even see uh, de- defections from from some Republicans, which would obviously be you know uh, the end of the line for him in terms of getting getting his appointment through the Senate. All right, I want to talk about another before we get to the Josh Hawley story. The story about Amazon.com and the president of the United States. Uh, the uh, Axios runs a story reporting anonymously that the president is really obsessed with Jeff Bezos and and Amazon, and the stock market responds by knocking tens of billions of dollars off the value of the company. And and then just in, in, in case you know, the damage wasn't bad enough, the president tweeted a few hours ago, I have stated my concerns with Amazon long before the election. Unlike others, they pay little or no taxes to state and local governments, use our postal system as their delivery boy, causing tremendous loss to the U.S., and are putting many thousands of retailers out of business. You know, we keep you know saying things like this is not normal, but I'm trying to remember the last time a Republican president used his bully pulpit to go after a successful American company, one of the largest employers in the country. And obviously there's a uh, political element there since Jeff Bezos is also the the owner of The Washington Post. So what, what, what is, what, what's your takeaway from the president of the United States <laughs> stoking up a feud with Amazon.com and, and – the success he's had in in lopping off massive amounts of value from the stock price. Right. Yeah. There's so much to unpack in this story. Yeah. It's it's really remarkable. And I think first, you know, the w- one of the important things to get out right 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 away is that most of the things that President Trump said in that tweet are not true. Um, you know, it's, it is the case that Amazon has contributed to putting you know a lot of smaller businesses out of out of, out of business. And I think that it was reported in the, the Axios report that that is one of the things that uh, has has really gotten President Trump's goat, given his uh, you know his uh, affection uh, for you know the, the sort of small town uh, mom and pop type America that, that that makes up a lot of his his base um, but the notion that they pay few taxes the notion that they cause tremendous damage to the postal service uh, by by using them uh, one of the this is also just from the axios report but it's true um, that you know one of the re- or the main reason why the postal service has added uh, Sunday delivery in a, in a number of places in America is because Amazon has made that profitable for them so it's you know it's it, it's it's very much a, a uh, mutually beneficial relationship between Amazon and, and shipping companies, of course. Um, but but yeah, and then the political angle that you mentioned, um, obviously, President Trump uh, has a lot of antipathy toward the media, uh, and the Washington Post is one of those. And, and more than any of the other uh, media outlets that, that he criticizes, he sees, and a lot of people in his orbit see uh, that relationship between Jeff Bezos, who owns the Post, and the Post as as a personal thing. You know, he's he's tweeted well, about it in so. the past, um, yeah. he, not 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 very frequently. I mean, obviously, people like Steve Bannon bring this up all the time. You know, just call it the Bezos Washington Post, but but that he sort of sees it as this you know sort of tech billionaire on the left, uh, sort of trying to bludgeon him and his presidency with uh, this this office. 
Yeah, and but I, you know, again, let's go back to the you know, I, I, there are legitimate concerns about Amazon and the effect they've had on on storefront Main Street businesses. I mean, there's going to be a debate that goes on about that. But uh, I don't think there's any way that you get away from the fact that this is politically vindictive and and how remarkable it is that the president has really set out to to damage this company. Right. Uh, that and is, and that, that frankly, you know, they think the harshest thing you can say about well, not the harshest thing, but but clearly Amazon is guilty of you know the creative destruction of capitalism of the of the free market uh, there are a lot of billionaires out there tech billionaires that the president is is not attacking and this is also part of a pattern because of course one of the other companies that he's gone out of the way to attack would be uh, you know AT&T even going mm -hmm. after you know them in 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 court AT&T which of course uh, um, you know, owns, you know, I mean, no, is, is well, it, because of the, the, the merger, which involves a C CNN. So I, I guess also the other odd part of this story is how much of the president's success and his self-image has been tied up with the stock market. Right. And if you're watching what's been happening over the last couple of days, the decline in the so-called FANG stocks, these, these tech stocks, has been really dramatic. And yet, rather than stepping back and going, okay, you know, perhaps we're dealing with a rather fragile moment when you're talking about, uh, you know, Facebook and Google and, and Amazon and Apple and all of these folks, the president of the United States uh, is doubling down on that and driving their numbers even lower. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what's so fascinating about this. I think I think it's fair to characterize the way that Donald Trump approaches problems like this as, as there's sort of two main modes in which he operates, and he has his sort of standard operating procedure, um, which is you know in in regular business hours as the president, he is very focused on the economy. He sees that as a, a really strong indicator of his success, um, one of the strongest, in fact, one of the things that Republicans are, are happiest about right now. Um, but then there's also so sort of the, the crisis mode, uh, President Trump that acts on his instincts and is, is combative and always punches back. And so because of this really, really interesting interplay that we have now between, you know, the, the stock market and politics and the media, you know, you have this situation where if Axios never... Uh, you know, releases this story. This probably just remains a thing that President Trump uh, complains about. You know, in in private conversations, and and there's never any any sort of political overflow. But because Axios has this story, um, and and you know, sort of tanks Amazon stock, and it becomes a minor controversy, then the president feels that irritation and has to push back. And we might very well actually see a policy change um, that that. That is partially born out of yes, the president's own sort of animosity, but 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 a real cause of any actual policy change that might come on this will have been this Jonathan Swan Axios story. It's really just remarkable. And and, and and conservatives, I think, ought to be really alarmed by the precedent set here. I mean, it's one thing for the president or anybody else to criticize the media, which of course is is their right and is often completely legitimate. It's something else to then threaten to use the power of government to come after you. And so you know here. Here you have uh, this kind of the the, the potential of, of the crony capitalism or the abuse of power where the president or others in power in the federal government pick and choose the winners and losers and, and decide, you know, we're going to reward you, we're going to punish you um, if, if in fact, uh, you engage in, in criticism of the administration, we're prepared to vindictively go after you. Of all of the groups in American society that ought to be most concerned about that kind of abuse of government power. I would think free market conservatives should be at the top of the list, but I'm, I'm frankly not going to hold my breath here. Right. Well, and, and, and I mean, absolutely. And and I, this is one of the things that I've sort of made made a hobby horse a few times in the past when I've when I've been on the podcast. But uh, I, I think that this again is just something that really speaks to how 
um, incorrect the assumption that a lot of conservatives had when President Trump went into office uh, that a lot of these sort of uh, sideshows and his impulse, his impulsiveness and, and his uh, com- combat combativeness and things like that were essentially just going to be distractions, but that behind the scenes, you know, in the confines of a, you know, White House environment where he's surrounded by advisors and aides and things like that, um, that, that the policy would, would be, you know, pretty straightforward and conservative but time and again you know especially just this year we have seen those things sort of bleed together where the, where the president has gotten sort of a bee in his bonnet about one of these more uh, combative personal things and and then there has been actual policy impact yeah this is banana republic stuff now speaking of capitalism in the free marketplace uh, the daily standard is brought to you today by mac weldon now their mission is simple to make sure that all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and the shopping for them is easy and convenient they will be if you if you go online and and get some of this stuff you you these will be the most comfortable underwear socks shirts undershirts hoodies sweatpants uh, that you will ever wear. They they have a they have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally microbial, which means they eliminate odor, which is by the way not an excuse to wear them four days in a row. Uh, not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good; they perform well. You know they're good for working out, for going to for going to work, going out, just everyday life. So quite simply, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you are wearing right now, and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Now, I bought a bunch of their stuff, and I got to tell you, um, it lives up to the, the billing. In fact, uh, I'm wearing um, I'm wearing a T-shirt right now from Mac Weldon. So here's the special offer to listeners of the Daily Standard podcast. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code STANDARD at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com and use promo code STANDARD at checkout for 20% off. Now, one of the things that, um, of, of course, that we're going to be focusing on over the next few months is are the, the, the midterm elections, the race for the House and the race for the, the Senate. And if Republicans stand any chance at all of uh, keeping control of the, the Senate, um, really, they need to win races like uh, the, the the race in Missouri, where Claire McCaskill once again, incumbent Democrat Claire McCaskill once again, is uh, one of the most uh, vulnerable uh, incumbent senators. And uh, you've written a uh, Andrew, you've you've written a uh, an in depth profile of her Republican challenger, Josh Hawley, who you describe as a constructive populist. So give me some sense what what is constructive populism in the era of Trump. Right. So so Josh Hawley is a really, really interesting character. Um, just sort of just apart from being a, a Senate candidate, he he um, is a, a constitutional lawyer um, who, you know, he's been teaching uh, constitutional law at, at, a, at a college in Missouri for a while. But he, uh, for, for, for a while there, um, in the past couple of years, was serving as counsel for the uh, the the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, which is obviously a, a very prominent national uh religious liberty I don't, I don't know if lobbying group is the right right phrase i don't know exactly how to characterize it but they you know they argue cases before the supreme court and things like that um and so he he comes from this constitutional background um but but he 
here on the the campaign trail um, has has really been styling himself and as uh, as like, like you say a populist, um, which is obviously all the rage uh, in 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 Republican circles these days. President Trump's really moved the needle on that what that means. Um, but it's but it's a different sort of thing from what we used to see uh, back during the 2016 election uh, from President Trump. He would you know when he would get up in in his uh, in, in front of a microphone at rallies and things like that and really just lay into the state of the country. You know that 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 everything was a disaster that the the elites had really really screwed everything up um american and carnage yeah yeah american carnage exactly um and 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 you hear certain things like that from holly i mean he, he certainly thinks that uh that you know coastal elites or whoever he talks about hollywood and dc and you know all, all of the usual suspects have made a mess of things obviously but but he's he, his rhetoric is not so much focused, at least in, in, in the, the speeches and stuff that I that I saw, not so much focused on just sort of ripping those things down sort of for the sake of ripping them down, um, but saying that sort of in order to revitalize our, our country, what we really need is to uh, relearn sort of the values and... Um, you know, ways of life that, that are still familiar to a lot of people in so, sort of yeah, small town is, areas in the country. So the, this is an A-level candidate. I mean, he's the incumbent attorney general. I mean, he, he won, he, he, you know, uh, he, he won by a big margin. Uh, he, he's, he's got these outstanding credentials. But this has been a lousy political year for Republicans in Missouri, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's 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 really, really. I, mean, I, I am myself uh, from Missouri initially. Um, and so I, it's sort of been just a little cringy for me that the big story is obviously that uh, Governor Eric Greitens has been uh, charged with felony invasion of privacy because he uh, was having an affair with with some woman and he. You know, he took a nude picture of her without her consent, and uh, supposedly, and uh, this is the the allegation. He didn't. He's not proven to have done this yet. He's, he's being tried for this, um, but but allegedly to um, to keep her, uh, you know, by her silence, he's, you know, hold that picture over her head, um, and you know, he's he's obviously fighting these char- these charges, but but it's a huge headache, huge embarrassment for for the Republican Party in Missouri, and the state party uh, has been a little nutty in their response to this as well. You know, like right when these allegations first came out, uh, their their sort of immediate res- immediate response was to attack the prosecutor because she had gotten Democratic uh, donations during her during her election and tried to tie her to uh, George Soros of, of all people. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, yeah, it's it's been a pretty discouraging time time for for them there. But the, but being able to recruit somebody like Josh Hawley seems to be a real coup for the Republicans for all the reasons that you you've explained. Now I want to go back to this issue of the populism, because you know often when you use that term, you think of people like you know Kelly Ward, Danny Tarkanian who's dropped out, Joe Arpaio, uh, those folks. Uh, th- th- this is not the kind of populism you get from Josh Hawley. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's, you know, clearly there's a, a spectrum of, of how much, you know, what we would typically call conservatism bleeds into into populism. Um, and, and when when Holly talks about populism, a lot of the times I, I sort of got a flavor of um, sort of maybe Marco Rubio style um, conservatism on on sort of social issues. You know, like he, he talks about, you know, policies for for uh, pro-family policies and things like that. Obviously, he's uh, pretty similar to, like, say, Tom Cotton on on immigration and things like that. But one thing that I was struck by when I was talking to Holly um, was how he sort of 
takes a lot of the same frustrations and things that Donald Trump has tapped into and sort of reframes them in in a more constitutional context, which I was frankly kind of impressed by. I mean, like you talk about um, the the deep state, which is one thing I get into a little bit in the article. Um, he, you know, we sort of as uh, as media or whatever, oftentimes tend to roll our eyes at the the notion of the deep state, at people's fears about a deep state, um, because a lot of times that's that's you know rolled up in actual conspiratorial thought, which is the kind of thing that that Donald Trump has not always you know pushed back against very strongly um, but when Holly talks about it he says look it's it, it's no surprise that people have these worries about the deep state why is that because most of the government governing decisions in our country are not made by you know the people who we elect to run the country they're made by unaccountable unelected bureaucrats who who don't really see much oversight at all and he's he says you know people get that you know people understand uh, that the the people that they're sending to Washington are not even uh, in, in, they're not even really in the driver's seat in terms of policy. And that's the kind of thing that the people know that has stoked these sort of anxieties. So what is his relationship with Trump? Uh, how, how does Trump uh, see him? Uh, how, how does he talk about the president on the stump? Well, it hasn't always been uh, the best relationship. Um, obviously, during the uh, during the 2016 election, Hawley was running for attorney general in Missouri just at the same time that Trump was running for president, um, he had some pretty harsh language for the president in the wake of the Access Hollywood uh, scandal when every Republican seemed to have harsh rhetoric for the president because it seemed like he might drop out, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, but, but in the meantime, they they've, over it. yes, they've definitely buried the hatchet. Uh, <laughs> president Trump sort of offered a surprise endorsement for Hawley when he was in Missouri last, uh, last November, I believe. Um, he was just there to sort of talk up the, the tax bill and things like that, but he just sort of uh, off the cuff uh, said he's excited to see Holly in the Senate. So I mean, obviously the the Holly campaign was you know surprised, but happy to, happy to hear that. And he you know went a couple weeks ago when I was in Missouri for for Holly's uh, campaign kickoff, uh, President Trump flew in for one day as well to a to a fundraiser there, and you know praised him lavishly. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of animosity between the two. And obviously you know uh, Holly is in a pretty good place there because he doesn't have to really he, he he can talk about the ways in which Donald Trump has tapped into um you know these sort of populist anxieties but just because he has sort of an, an, a whole different framework for for talking about those he isn't doing it in a way that at least it seems to me uh, necessitates sort of a betrayal of any any sort of conservative ideology there. It's a it's a, it's a cleaned up uh, a version of this. So, so give me your your sense of how you know how this race is playing out right now. I mean, he's obviously a strong candidate in a red state. He's got an appealing message, um, but you know, Claire McCaskill has has had near death experiences before. She's she's not she's not going to be an easy opponent. So first of all, what, what do the polls show, and how is the campaign playing out? So far, the polling has been really close uh, between potential uh, potential head to head with Holly and McCaskill. And obviously, you know, we don't we don't want to get too far out over our skis because Holly is, you know, uh, certainly considered to be the front runner. But there are other Republicans in in that primary. You know, Libertarian Austin Peterson, former presidential candidate, is perhaps the most notable of those. Um, but but yeah, I mean, in terms of polling, it's it's right now pretty much neck and neck. And that's one of the one of the interesting things I think is that we don't really know, you know, what what Claire McCaskill's um, you, you know, ceiling or floor are because her past elections have been so weird. You know, she she came in during the blue wave in 06. Mm -hmm. And then in 2012, she got a, an enormous, enormous, uh, you know, gimme essentially after after you remember Missouri Senate candidate sure. Todd Aiken had that enormous gaffe. Um, yeah, that, legendary. That yeah, that through the election, she 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 wrote, you know, a book about it. Um, and so, so it's, you know, it's 
it's hard to tell at this point what exactly that's going to look like as, as we're going forward. Okay, so he's going after McCaskill with some some new ads, um, and you've suggested that that maybe those ads have the risk of backfiring on him. Yeah, that that's one of the things that's been so strange to me about uh, about watching this this campaign because, like like we've talked about, he has a lot of positives. He seems like a really good fit for where um, Missouri Republicans are right now, and Missouri's becoming increasingly a red state. So you'd think that 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 it would you know tip toward him in that regard. Um, which is why I've been surprised to see some of these ads that we've seen that, uh, you know, for, for example, um, there's one attacking McCaskill as sort of a, a, a D.C., um, you know, she, she loves D.C., Claire McCaskill loves D.C., prefers D.C. to Missouri, um, which is based on some comments that she made, you know, at some town hall type setting where she was asked whether uh, she would favor Puerto Rico becoming a state. And her answer was basically just, you know, I mean, maybe that I would be more interested in seeing D.C. Uh, become a state before I went to Puerto Rico. So it's just sort of out of context and perhaps even more egregiously than that. Um, the, the latest ads, uh, you know, you remember a few weeks back when Hillary Clinton got into a lot of hot water for her comments about middle America and Trump voters and how all of the, you know, forward looking and optimistic places voted for her. But, you know, everyone, everyone in middle America, President Trump promised, you know, well, if you don't like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to yeah. butcher the quote, but if you, if you don't like, you know, women getting jobs or that Indian American guy. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Because Hillary yeah. at her absolute worst. Right. And Claire McCaskill was asked to respond to that and, and gave a pretty strong, you know, push pushback on that answer where, where he said, look, clearly she said, look, that's clearly not helpful rhetoric. I think it's sort of demeaning to Missouri voters. And I wish that she wouldn't you know, say things like that, especially for those of us who are trying to run in states where Trump won. So it was, it was a pretty striking uh, pushback on Hillary Clinton's comments. And, and, and Josh Hawley comes out with this ad uh, that that is essentially just cutting out uh, the, the one place where she where, where, where McCaskill sort of qualified that by saying, yeah, I think Hillary's context, Hillary's comments were sort of taken out of context. Um, and, and, uh, and, he, and that's basically the whole ad. Like he's, he, and, and, and the point is, uh, Claire McCaskill was sticking up for Hillary Clinton when, if you watch the video, I mean, it's pretty obvious that she wasn't. So it's, it, it it's hard to see why, um, that sort of more desperate seeming, uh, perhaps underhanded ad is, is, is even necessary at this stage. You know, I don't know why I'm on the uh, the list. Maybe it's because of the, some some of these super PACs, but I'm getting all of the emails about uh, Claire McCaskill, and I and I am seeing that that in fact this has become a, a theme of trying to tie Hillary Clinton to Democratic Senate candidates. I think she's probably the the, the foremost, even though she she has distanced herself. But you know, for a lot of Republicans, Hillary Clinton continues to be uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Now, you you also cover uh, the White House for the Weekly Standard, so I have to ask you about this uh, rather remarkable story by uh, Olivia, is it Nuzzi? How do you pronounce her name? I, I just, uh, uh, it, about the uh, uh, infighting in the White House to replace Hope Hicks as communications director. I guess I'm wondering whether or not Donald Trump thinks he actually needs a communications director, whether he needs to actually replace Hope Hicks. Oh, goodness. I hope that he does replace Hope Hicks. Um, it's it's going to be, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think this is the same article that you're referring to. It it might not be. Um, but but w- one of the things that I, I've seen recently is, is, you know, Hope Hicks has been on the way out for a while, but but she's only leaving this week, you know, so it's like uh, all of all of the sort of prophesied uh, comings apart that, that were supposed to attend her departure we've been in sort of like a, a hang time here where or lag time here where hope hicks has been on the way out but has still been there has still been sort of gluing the place together and things like that and i don't think that really any anybody that that trump could appoint to that role would be able to fill it as well as hicks has because she has the 
you know, the the perfect set of attributes for, for, for filling that role, which is that she's competent and she's willing to remain behind the scenes. And most importantly of all, she has the president's ear. President Trump trusts her. He's known her for a long time. I mean, so, so she, you know, you, you look back at the past year at all the, all the nuttiness that's, that's gone on in the white house, all of the messaging, uh, hangups and issues and President Trump doubling back on things he said and, you know, pulling the rug out from under the feet of his spokespeople and things like that. And that's all been with Hope Hicks in the building. You know, so so it's it's You're impossible. That it can actually get worse. I mean, y- 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 every every time there's one of these things that comes out, you're like, well, I guess I guess now I've seen it all. You know, this yeah. this is the new. Uh, the new normal, the new bottom, whatever, whatever you want to say, but, but yeah, I mean, cer- certainly, I mean, th- this has been sort of one of the main storylines of this, uh, this new year, that President Trump has is both feeling more confident, uh, and has uh, started to shed a lot of these sort of moderating influences within the White House, both, both pers- personality-wise, policy-wise, on his legal team, the people you know uh, who were counseling pretty moderate. Uh, conservative, safe, cooperative strategies for things like the Mueller probe, um, and 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 Hope Hicks, you know, she's she's been really behind the scenes, but she's been in the middle of all of those things. You know, she she's she's has been sort of a Trump whisperer in a uh, West Wing that is decreasingly populated by Trump whisperers. So I think it's going to get a, a little nutty. Obviously, obviously Trump has has no nuttier. Yeah, well, yeah, right, N- <laughs> nuttier and nuttier. Uh, obviously, President Trump is very confident in his own ability to get his point across. Otherwise, he would not. Uh, tweet and you know give off off the cuff statements nearly as often as he does um, but I think for for those of us who uh, are perhaps a little less confident in the president's ability to you know just sort of go in with limbs swinging and uh, and and you know everything will turn out all right uh, this should perhaps be a, a worrying development uh, thanks for joining me today I appreciate it very much uh, Andrew Edgar White House uh, reporter for the weekly standard and thank you for listening to the daily standard podcast I'm Charlie Sykes we'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again <laughs>